0: This podcast is brought to you by Gomoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit Gomoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O.com.
1: Welcome to Daily Drive. For Monday, July 31st, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker
2: in Las Vegas. Today on the show. U.S. regulators want 58 miles per gallon cafe standards in less than a decade. Forvia scraps its unprofitable Jeep business in Michigan and suppliers get rare leverage in upcoming contract talks. Plus, Automotive News has a new package of stories on the future of the hydrogen market. We'll hear from the head of GM's hydrogen business, Charlie Freeze
3: as we start commercializing and moving into these other spaces getting reuse of the same system for many many different applications gives us the ability to bring those economics into play where they can be favorable
1: let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry the national highway traffic safety administration is outlining fuel economy standards for new light duty cars and trucks They would require an average fleet fuel economy of 58 miles per gallon by the 2032 model year. The move comes three months after the EPA proposed its strictest ever limits on tailpipe pollution. NHTSA says its new standards for the 2027 through 2032 model years would require a 2% per year improvement in fuel efficiency for cars and a 4% per year improvement for light trucks. NHTSA's proposal also includes a 10% improvement per year for commercial pickups and work vans beginning in the 2030 model year and ramping up through 2035. Five of the six major publicly traded franchise dealership
2: groups reported double-digit percentage declines on new vehicle gross profits during the second quarter. That's as inventories grew and rising interest rates cut into shoppers' buying power. All of the publics except Asbury Automotive, posted new vehicle sales gains in the quarter. The six publics, Penske, Sonic, Asbury, Group One, Lithia, and AutoNation, collectively averaged about $5,000 in profit on each new vehicle sold during the second quarter. That's compared with about $2,000 in the second quarter of 2019, before COVID-19 disrupted the industry in 2020. All of the publics except Sonic, also experienced year-over-year drops in second quarter gross profit per use vehicle. But the group's combined average profit of about $2,000 was about $500 higher than the average in the second quarter
1: of 2019. A Michigan Supreme Court opinion could help suppliers get what they've been longing for over the past few years, more leverage to extract price concessions from their customers. Michigan's high court has ruled that buyers must be explicit in contracts saying what they intend to buy from a seller. Contracts between auto suppliers and their customers sometimes use wishy-washy language. Those are the words that Dan Russman used. He's the co-chair of Detroit law firm Butzel's Global Automotive Group. But because of the court ruling, customers in Michigan must now either state a specific number of parts that they intend to purchase, or specifically say what percentage of parts they will buy over the course of the contract. The decision applies only to contracts that fall under Michigan law, but attorneys say it could prove persuasive and influential outside the state. And
2: speaking of supplier contracts, French auto supplier Forvia has negotiated an exit from an agreement to supply Jeeps in Michigan. That contract has led to significant losses for the supplier. Shedding the business means Forvia will permanently shut down its plant in Highland Park, Michigan, an enclave of Detroit. It will also lay off more than 500 employees. Forvia says it will wind down operations of the money-losing plant by the end of the quarter. The company settled a dispute over its contract with Stellantis to supply the Jeep Grand Wagoneer program at the Warren Truck Assembly Plant, also near Detroit. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, in the last few months, the government has really put the pressure on automakers with new environmental standards. What do you make of NHTSA's new fuel
1: economy proposal? Yeah, you know, it's a little surprising after the super aggressive EPA targets for emissions, you know, leading toward something like two thirds of all vehicles sold by 2032 to being electric, uh, to then see these numbers today on fuel economy uh, they really seem kind of out of sync. You know, I can remember uh, covering the Barack Obama administration when it proposed, you know, average fuel economy of 54.5 by 2025. And now we're looking at, you know, 58 by 2032. It seems like obviously progress got stalled for a while in the Trump administration. And there were some funny numbers maybe in those uh, those Obama estimates. But uh, it, it really seems like these NHTSA rules are not nearly as aggressive as those put forth by the EPA. Gotcha. Coming up, the head of GM's hydrogen business joins the show.
2: That's next on Daily Drive.
0: Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lien. GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Long touted as the fuel of the future but not of the present, the age of hydrogen may be about to start. Automotive News has a series of stories on that trend in this week's print edition and at autonews.com. As part of that package, our own Hannah Lutz spoke with Charlie Fries, who heads up General Motors' hydrogen business. She spoke with him on Shift, a podcast about mobility. They talk about the promises and challenges ahead for the technology and how GM plans to make it profitable. Here's a piece of their conversation.
4: A few years ago, you and I spoke related to some... um, Hydrogen news that that GM was was making, and you said that hydrogen, the fuel cells, are not just sustainable from an environmental perspective, but they're sustainable from a business standpoint. Can you explain that? How is that? How is it a sustainable business model for GM in particular?
3: Well, we're coming down the cost curve dramatically on on the fuel cells. So, it, it, just as some examples. Um, if we go back to the to those Equinox vehicles that I described earlier, they had over 90 grams of platinum on those, those fuel cell stacks and platinum is a precious metal. That's what's required to make the actual catalytic reaction inside the fuel cell stack operate. And if you have more platinum, it's more expensive. The way that we deal with this is we're bringing the platinum down Dramatically, so as we went from Gen Zero, which was the Equinox system, to Gen One, we basically cut that by more than half. We were down in the range of about 30 grams of platinum, and as we went to the Gen Two system, that's what we're commercializing now. We're down uh, below 20 grams of platinum. So what what happens is we've been taking the costs out dramatically as we go down. Other things have also enabled a lot of cost reduction, whether it's commonization of parts. Um, achieving scale through through the partnerships like we're doing with Honda, where we can have more fuel cells produced using common parts between two manufacturers. So we don't have to have the supply base two very different sets of sensors or valves or actuators or other parts. So economies of scale are a big one. And as we start um, commercializing and moving into these other spaces, getting reuse of the same system for many, many different applications, gives us the ability to bring those economics into play where they can be favorable. And uh, the other thing that's interesting is that fuel cells are so much more efficient than the internal combustion engines that we're replacing. So if we uh, push this infrastructure in place and bring the cost of hydrogen itself down to where it's actually less than the cost of, of diesel fuel, then that combined with the fact that the fuel cell is about twice as efficient as an internal combustion engine Means you can reduce the operating costs. The maintenance costs also come down because we don't have to do oil changes. We don't have as many service requirements for a fuel cell as you do an internal combustion engine. So, as a total operating cost model, all of those things can be improved.
4: Can you describe the pace of hydrogen fuel cell development for light vehicles? Are things moving very quickly or has it been more of a slow and steady stream of development over the years?
3: Well, I think. When we talk about light vehicles, um, I, I'm assuming you're you're talking passenger cars. Yeah. Um, we actually would not be advocating to be putting the fuel cells in the in the lightest of vehicles. I think that's an area where the best technology, if you want to put a zero emission technology into those vehicles, would be to use something like our Ultium battery technology, because as as we look at a consumer of a, a, a light passenger car as an example, um, they they spend most of their time with their vehicle either in a garage or a parking lot they don't actually drive the uh, majority of the day and those downtimes are great opportunities to do charging a battery electric vehicle is over 90 percent efficient a fuel cell is is not that efficient it's sitting in the 60 percent range so what we get is is uh an advantage on efficiency but the electricity is relatively low cost for batteries so for those users you can serve their needs with a zero emission battery. Um, better than a fuel cell, but when we start talking about long range, fast refueling times, heavy payloads, so we consume a lot more energy, it's a different situation. So the biggest of the vehicles in the portfolios, that's where the fuel cells provide the most customer value, and I, I really think it's gonna it's gonna be like the rollout that we saw with diesels back decades ago. For a long time, if you think of a, let's say a heavy duty pickup truck or a medium duty truck. There were no diesels in those applications. They were all gasoline powered, and it was really when the first diesel started to come out. They were only fueled at the truck stops, but they served a customer need, and they became so popular that the infrastructure developed around them, and they started moving into more and more retail user space, and eventually moved downscale in the portfolio. So they even got into the the lighter duty applications, and I think that's the way you can think about fuel cells evolving over time.
4: How are the use cases for Fuel cells evolving, and and what's next? I mean, just in the past couple of years, GM's made announcements with locomotive, aerospace, et cetera. Uh, should we expect more of those types of partnerships, or will we see something new?
3: I'm I'm sure you're going to hear some new opportunities come up. We're working on a lot of different things. One of the the ones that you mentioned there, I think the aerospace is a really interesting one because when we talk about large aircraft, and think of this as large commercial aircraft, they all take off at an airport, they land at an airport, it's very predictable, you know how much energy they take to go from one place to another, they want to take off with a full tank, they want to land close to an empty tank, those are very suitable boundary conditions for a hydrogen infrastructure, and we we can build fuel cell applications that provide additional customer value for the builders and users of those aircraft. So starting with like, for instance, the auxiliary power unit that provides power on board, we can replace a jet turbine in the back of the aircraft, which is relatively inefficient over many of the operating points that it's forced to run. It's noisy, it makes a lot of emissions, and we can replace it with a fuel cell where water is our only byproduct. We have some heat coming out that can be beneficial in the aircraft. The water itself can be beneficial. You can use that on board for either humidifying the cabin or flushing toilets. Um, So then we can lighten the aircraft. You can take tons of water required just to flush the toilets on a on a large commercial aircraft. Instead, we can replace that with water we make in flight. So there are a lot of things that come out as as uh, adjacent benefits of using fuel cells and things like that. We already talked about locomotives. I think what you can also look to are applications like mobile power. There are a lot of diesel generators today that are out there and um, replacing them with a fuel cell let us meet those customer expectations. But again, there are benefits that come. For instance, there's no no odor, there's no smoke, there's no noise to speak of. It's a very quiet operating system. And so those are all benefits that generator operators would like to have. So as the cost of the technology becomes more affordable and as the availability of hydrogen improves, all of those things can be serving unmet customer needs.
1: Charlie Fries leads GM's hydrogen business. He spoke with our own Hannah Lutz on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today, I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to
2: Automotive News coordinating producer, Jake Neer, as well as our own Aji LaForest, John Hutter, and John Irwin for their reporting for today's podcast. And a special shout out to Kurt Nagel of our sibling publication, Crane's Detroit Business for his reporting as well you can get the latest news on hydrogen fuel, tailpipe regulations, and everything happening in the auto
1: industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about UAW contract talks with Arthur Wheaton, Director of Labor Studies at Cornell University. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.